Hi, this is Deborah Ann Wool. Thank you for listening to the Children of Erte podcast, presented by Demiplane. You can join us live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv backslash RPG, or catch up with the VOD of each episode on the Demiplane YouTube channel. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Last, yes, we are because that is the name of the show. Welcome on back. I am Sam Delev, and this is our Children of Erte after show where I hunt for spoilers like so many shinies in a scary lady sparkle horde. With me tonight to provide said secrets are Lauren Urban, Jen Kretschmer, and Adam Bradford. Thank you so much for joining me. So please say hello and introduce yourself to the people. Adam, who's going first? There we go. Jen, kick it off. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I thought you said Adam. Hi. Uh, hello. I am Jen Kretschmer. <laughs> um, you can find me on socials as at DreamWisp. Uh, you can find me streaming on the interwebs as DreamWisp Jen. I do a bunch of different things. Um, soon, at some point in the next couple of days, I'll be posting the link to the... Uh, I got to host the first ever hybrid SAG WGA uh, disabled creators picket, and it went amazingly, and I'm very proud of it. Um, so that'll be coming up. I'll be posting it on everything. Um, and also, uh, you can check out Dreams and Machines, which is out now and awesome. Um, and I wrote on that. So yes, and normally I play Maeve. Maeve. Maeve Mark and Flynn, your friendly neighborhood troublemaker. Yeah, that 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 set. I, I, I had it this time. That. Yay! Um, it's really fun. It's got machines and dreams and things. Um, yes. Speaking of someone who is an absolute dream, Lauren. Aw, thank you. I I'm Lauren Urban. I'm the content manager over at Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. You can find me on many of the socials as Oba Lauren. I, I mean, I'm not playing Neb tonight, but she's around here somewhere. I'm, I'm sure she'll come out, you know, somewhere. And that and, leaves me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Around here somewhere. Yeah, there we go. Um, I am Adam Bradford. I am the CDO at Demiplane. We have many, many things going on. Uh, my uh, sleep schedule will attest to that. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're doing uh, Vampire, the Masquerade character tools right now. Like that's, that's the big thing that we're working on alongside Marvel Multiverse RPG character tools. So uh, here in the next uh, you know, couple of months, you're going to get to dig into all of that. But we also have 
Pathfinder Nexus, which has uh, character tools in beta right now. Pathfinder is just a really big game, so we had to kind of beta with that one. Um, but uh, Avatar Legends is available, so you can create characters for Avatar Legends. And today uh, we released the early access, which uh, so that means you can pick things up in our digital reader and the game compendium for 5e Nexus, which has some great third-party content, including uh, Critical Role, uh, Darrington Press, Tal'Dorei Reborn is up there. We've got uh, two of the Tome of Beasts from Kobold Press. And we have the Monster Grimoire from uh, Ghostfire. So uh, that's just a, a few of the uh, you know starting publishers that we have on 5e Nexus that will grow over time. So check that out at 5enexus.com. And uh, normally I am playing uh silas sorrell um i almost said jordan because that used to be his name but if you're watching at this point uh you know spoilers are way out the window uh, at this stage but uh but yes uh silas sorrell your dimensionally displaced magical super fan and before i gather the spoilers from out the window and into my hot little hands i must first recognize tonight's sponsors idle champions of the forgotten realms wherein we are giving away two codes and you can type exclamation point code in chat for a free Electrum chest in game, diehard dice, purveyors of clicky clacky math rocks and supporters of excellent alliteration. Use code Airtay at checkout for a 10% discount and we will be doing a giveaway in chat during the stream as well as Sirenscape because epic games require epic music such as DAA, EDD, a-D-D-E-D. And with that test of musical aural skills out of the way, on with our show with a reminder that you too can ask our guests questions like, what Mount Doom volcano would you throw an amulet into if you actually do go back for it someday? By asking your question with QUESTION in all caps in chat. And while Demibot handles that, I will handle the first question. Because canonically, y'all, we know from the Vaults and Vagabonds episode that Silas is not only a deep VNV nerd, but he watches actual plays, including Alendra from Heroes of the Plains. And I need to know, does that mean that Adam Bradford, Hope Lavelle, Jen Kretschmer, and Lauren Urban, among others, are also canonical in Children of Erte? And if so, what does Silas think of them? I mean, I think ultimately you are going to have to ask the cosmic GM, uh, you know, for a final ruling on that. But um, I think that uh, what I can say for my part in uh, the genesis of this, uh, you know, little show, uh, our early discussions were that, um, you know, we wanted things to be as familiar as possible to the world that we actually live in and then try to imagine what if uh you know something like DD or vnv or anything else what if that um you know truly existed in reality and kind of frame it that way so i wouldn't say that it is you know necessarily us but you know maybe variants of of us perhaps uh you know walking around in the world of children of erte or in erte i guess i can say uh we've got a version of jen and lauren and myself and hope and alicia um walking around in that world and uh you know who knows they may be watching 
something in their world that is like children of Erte, and then it's just going to keep going in a big giant loop kind of when you join a video call and share your screen and you forget uh, to, to change it to the other tab. I would like to call dibs on being the evil twin. <laughs> you gotta have a goatee. I can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Mirror universe of Erte coming to you soon. Not actually coming to you. Uh, but in terms of special episodes, can you tell us a little bit about how that one came to pass? Because it's maybe my favorite thing ever, watching players play characters who play characters. How did we get this magic to actually happen on our screens? So, um, you know, it's something we've had in the back pocket uh, for a while that I talked to, uh, to Deb about pretty early on. But, uh, you know, honestly, the reason it happened when it did is because we are a cast full of people doing a whole lot of different things. And uh, we do, uh, we go out of our way to try to pre-record episodes for, for whatever reason we've got to miss, uh, you know, one of the weeks. And we just happened to get up and against a scheduling conflict that just wasn't going to work. And unfortunately, Hope had to uh, uh, ha had to, to miss out on that one. And so uh, we kind of, uh, like I said, had it in the back pocket that, you know, if the story supported it enough um, that, you know, we weren't in the middle of some giant combat, for instance, if uh, if we were in a, uh, you know, quiet enough place that we could, uh, you know, try to do something like that. And um, that that was inspired by uh, some of my favorite episodes of, you know, virtually any media that I consume. Um, so many things that I love have that, uh, you know, D&D &D episodes. So, you know, thinking back to Freaks and Geeks, um, you know, which is just a, a classic epic one. Community, of course, had, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there are so many uh, animated shows like the new uh, Voltron reboot had, um, you know, something in it. The 2012 uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had, uh, you know, an episode that was essentially, uh, you know, the turtles participating in some kind of D&D. Uh, esque or, or LARP-esque um, thing. So uh, it was just inspired by that concept of getting, you know, these characters together to play something and kind of this combining of all, uh, you know, of all of our favorite things. Including our cast members. Very much some of my favorite people. Uh, but Silas wasn't the only one who had some familiarity with V and V. Maeve, who played brilliantly so naive and pretended she'd never roll dice like that. Okay, so why did she sandbag, and where did she learn to play so well? Um. So uh, as I was building that out, I thought it would be interesting um, for. Maeve to sort of slow play that, um, but uh, she she learned because she traveled around so much as a kid um, as an army brat. Um, so learning on bases, um, it was a thing that she just did and that was portable and that she could kind of find a group almost anywhere um, and and play. And so that was part of why she was so familiar with it. And I thought it would just be really funny to have Maeve be just a hardcore min-maxer just to do the most optimized, broken, you know, just totally busted build. And the funniest thing is I was doing another stream the next day with another level five character um, 
that I was uh, creating. And the difference in those two characters was just, they were so disproportionate um, comparatively. But uh, it, it was so much fun building out Tabby and, and adding that piece to Maeve's backstory um, and creating that, that, that part of her story and, and thinking about, too, what the implications of that being one of her hobbies uh, would be. It, it, do you think she had good early V&V experiences? then i think so i think she started very young i think she was always the little kid at the table um like like young young maybe too young to really understand the rules um and so i think it's been kind of in her blood for a long time and i think when she was young she wasn't very good at it um, she didn't quite understand so then it became okay well i'm gonna learn everything and be better at it than you which is where some of the 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 min maxing came from um so i think that's just a little bit of her personality she doesn't like moderation she very much goes to extremes on things and she doesn't like um feeling inferior so she she uh it felt like that would have been a, a the way she would have taken it. But yeah, it, in my head, very, very small Maeve would have started playing with probably people who were much older than she was. Um, and that's, from a very that, early age and yet turning around and being like, but we don't have a table. Yeah. How could we play a tabletop role-playing game? <laughs> we have no hex, hex mat. We have no, no figurines. What are we going to do? <laughs> Just, <laughs> Um, You're gonna use someone else's she, dice? <gasps> the scandal! I only have one set with me. What am I gonna do? I lost um, mine in the train. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that that was sort of where that that thinking came from for her. Likewise, I did note that although so many of his most precious belongings were back on the train you know it was just right there at hand enough dice for everyone how many dice did Zyla's just like have on him would you estimate well I, I mean uh legitimately so so again it made all the sense in the world that um you know and i'm not trying to uh i'm, I'm certainly not trying to say that you know if, if you're out there and you're a fan of many things that you have to like tabletop role-playing games but there is a massive overlap, like, you know, people that are into, um, you know, uh, things that, that people get very fanatical about um, out there. There's this propensity to want to participate in whatever the franchise is that you're following or, you know, whatever else. And so tabletop role playing is such a natural extension of that. And so, of course, Silas being a fan of so many different things, he, he's like, you know, a huge tabletop, uh, you know, player. But um, one of the things uh, that, you know, from the very first, uh, you know, episode zero before we even started playing, uh, we have actual inventories on our characters. And it's like, what do you have with you? And the challenge that we had, you know, uh, early on was, you know, rethinking perhaps, you know, classic D&D style items into real world items. And so uh, for some Caltrops, um, Silas has D4s. 
And so he has just a bunch of D4s. He's used them on one of his old jobs um, that that he did. And so he carries them with him all over the place. And um, so uh, in the inventory, there are, uh, you know, like a huge bag of D4s, but then there's a whole other bag of like, you know, assorted uh, polyhedral dice. And that's been there the whole time. And then also, at least for Silas, and I think everyone else probably keeps up with this more than, than Adam as a player even does, um, you know, the, it, it's like we understand what is in our backpack, the thing that we carry with us all the time versus what was on that train. And um, and so, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, Silas lost a lot of stuff in the train, including, you know, the stacks of comic books that he had, his autographed Michael Jordan basketball. But, um, but you know, the dice are something that he would have close at hand, you know, pretty much no matter what. And so, uh, so yeah, he has, um, you know, uh, dozens. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's like the whole Corona bag, um, you know, kind of like, like that, that kind of thing. Like the Crown um, Royal. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. The Crown Royal bag. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's like, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing with all of um, uh, all of the different kinds of dice, metal, wood, probably some bone ones in there somewhere, you know, uh, he, he's a big collector. So he has a lot of dice. That makes sense. Okay, quick rapid fire for the players. What if, if you bring dice with you on a on a daily? What's your walking around number of dice rolling around? Like, what's your how many dice? Or do you live dangerously and not bring dice with you, uh, just around on a daily basis? I mean, if I have to bring physical, I bring one a d twenty. But I have to admit, I I know I have access to digital tools <laughs> so i have all of my dice with me at all times because i have a phone it's been nice that's, that's really yeah, I, yeah i probably have two physical sets with me if i have a backpack with me um and then i have three different apps with dice or four different apps with dice on my <laughs> phone and then i have one on my watch too uh just in case and for anyone who doesn't know, if you have a digital assistant, you can verbally ask your digital assistant to roll your dice for you as well. Um, so anywhere you have that nearby, uh, you can try it out. How much do you want to bet that there's a significant portion of the population who are watching this right now who just ask their digital assistant <laughs> in the way that they need to ask to do exactly that? And also- I'm very pointedly not saying the names of various digital assistants, so everyone's <laughs> devices- <laughs> Yeah. That's because you're a kind person. <laughs> okay, Google. Roll. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I um I, I think for me, um, I, I am kind of all over the place with that. If I'm traveling, even if I don't mean to, typically there are at least a couple of sets uh in the backpack. And I am one of those incredibly light packers, like I um military style pack like i try to get everything into a backpack you will never see me check a bag even if i'm gone for a long time uh and so um you know they're like tucked away in nooks and crannies of the backpack often but sometimes i do very intentionally if i'm going to a convention uh intentionally leave all the dice at home to force myself to buy some uh to have with me when i'm streaming a game at the convention or whatever because i, I do like to to kind of give myself some of those excuses to to buy more but but typically a couple of sets yeah i have to get more dice i didn't bring them with me and i didn't 
engineer this situation deliberately. Yeah. Well, I like what your I tell style. My wife yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I applaud your self-control. Oh, but I got to know, Sam, what do you have on you at any given time? 70. The number is 70. It's 10 sets of seven polyhedrals. And that's like, you know, unless I know I'm playing a higher level character, I don't have to re-roll any damage dice, which is just my thing. I don't like holding the numbers in my head. Please don't make me. And I love digital. I will have my digital character sheets and all of those I simply draw the line and dice roller whenever I can get away with it. I understand it as a randomized function with lovely, lovely math. Um, but I will I will take my faulty, uh, frail, material math rocks. Die hard dice. <clears throat> <laughs> but of the people we have here, Lauren, uh, Neb had the least background in VNV, but we did learn she had taken improv. Was that like for a class at school or like any idea of how Neb ended up in an improv class when where she didn't know she was when she was supposed to speak up? That detail just killed me. <laughs> yeah, so uh, before she got on the train, Neb didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. Uh, which is one of the main reasons that now she has this drive. If, if it hasn't been obvious so far, she's she's pretty much focused on what's been going on here because she finally feels that urge to, to do things. But she didn't know beforehand. And so when she went to uh, college, she did the thing where you take like three billion classes here, there, and everywhere, and you get a fine arts degree, and then you go back out into the world and you make donuts with your parents in the bakery. So yeah, I just pictured she's one of those people that every semester filled her schedule, like 18, 20 credits of courses, because she knew, okay, there's going to be a couple of them that I'm going to drop out of in the first, you know, week or two. So yeah, improv was definitely, definitely one of them. I think she, she probably tried to take a couple of either performing or artistic stuff uh, and none of it really stuck. So yeah, it was, it was kind of fun to suddenly have her need to pull that out and, and be spontaneous in a very different way. How did she like her experience of uh, playing her paladin? How did, how did your characters like their characters? Oh, Neb loves Asteria because, uh, <laughs> I've been lucky where I've had the chance to do the person playing a character playing a character a couple times now. It, it's just always so much fun. So for her, it was like, okay, what kind of character is she going to want to make? And a lot of it was, what am I not right now? And so I made the tankiest tank, the, the most paladiniest. I have so much armor because that's that's what she knows she's bad at. Uh, so yeah, there were a couple of times in where riding on her horse, just being epic and big was, she loved it. Um, I I really loved playing Tabby. I, I kind of want to play Tabby all the time. Um, she's really fun. Um, and I, I, I think uh, like Lauren, I've, I've had a few opportunities to do character playing a character 
and I've always really struggled with it. I was actually, <clears throat> I was really nervous about uh, about this. I got very stressed out about it because most of the time, especially when I the character I normally play has an accent, trying to do the the brain permutations of the accent and and what would the character do within the character choices and um but um this one actually felt really smooth and and fun and i i really really enjoyed it um so yeah i i thought it was a, a ton of fun um and i also just i kind of want to play this character just in different different opportunities of story and and maybe just play tabby without Maeve playing tabby too just because I mean, so we have fun. to play. We have to play some more, right? We we left off on a cliffhanger, and I'm going to be thinking about that yeah. cliffhanger every single night when it's I go so to sleep. True. Now, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, Silas I'm sure the schedule monster will get to us again, and we can come back to to it. We're going to have to. And we had a question about the upcoming cliff counter from uh, Cassius asking what level was the red dragon? We know our adventurers were level five, but what level was a red dragon? And what would not the VNV characters chances be of beating it? But what do y'all think the Erte crews oh, chances yeah, that's, that's of beating a, it would be? That's a layered question. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, it would have been, um, it, it, it was just a, um, you know, young, red dragon so it wasn't um it wasn't that bad i think it's around a cr8 or, or 10 somewhere around there um so yeah it, it would have been rough for them but you know for level five characters it was kind of the equivalent of the uh big bad of an adventure um and yeah i think that um honestly at this point in time the um you know Erte crew would uh just uh steamroll uh, a young red dragon. I, I genuinely believe that we've we, we've gotten to the point where um, you know about level five, some stuff really starts kicking in, and so uh, I think that uh, you know everybody's been together a little bit more. As long as Feruza doesn't you know uh, completely electrify us all, uh, you know when she when she loses control of the rage or something in the middle of things then we, we probably stand a pretty good chance against that red dragon. See, I'm, I'm on the fence for a couple <laughs> of reasons. One, I think we would all try to talk to this dragon first. So uh, defeating could mean a couple different things, but you know, like a bunch of us are just gonna try to talk to this dragon, talk this dragon out of whatever is going on, try to hang out with this dragon long enough so that certain druids could learn how to turn into them, even though there's no way that she can. And then, so so who knows what happens in that discussion because uh there's there's a couple people in this party who are super persuasive and super deceptive and then there's one or two people who are just nice to get along with so you could really kind of <laughs> it could go in a couple different ways also yeah young red dragon and this is this is me being a dm for a second it's all about where that breath weapon happens it's a hundred percent where does that because I'm I'm not gonna do the math in my head because it'll make me sad, but if Neb gets on the wrong side of that breath weapon, she's dead. Well, it's over, I, yeah. I, I will I will tell you that um, you know, I am anxiously, anxiously awaiting this next level. Um, because that's when Silas gets an incredibly good 
breath weapon neutralizer ability that actually works on groups as well. So, you know, b- back to the whole, like, hey, if you're around around Silas, like you can you can have some level of safety against mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, as long as we don't fight the Red Dragon until we level up one more time, we're going to stand a much, much better chance. Duly yeah. noted. I won't send the Red Dragon after you immediately. Yeah. Then. Just one more level. Yeah. It also, the Red Dragons are really smart, usually and yeah red dragons they're they're nasty that's a nasty they're they're gnarly and from a dm perspective they're just they're really fun to run but they are they are vicious i i don't know i think if we this one's tricky because as players i think it it, we have so many dms in the party that a lot of us would be i think it would be hard to we're, we're good players and we don't, we're not terrible about metagaming, but when you hit red dragons and things, it can get tough to not um, go, I might not stand right in front of it. Um, even though your character might actually be curious and might be persuaded to all group up right in front of it because they're very persuasive. Um, even though we know that's probably not the best idea. So I don't know how we would actually fare against a dragon. I think oh, and it also it also depends who's running it. Like if, if Deb's running it, she just has all of the tricks to the, to the thing is is we would never see a us. red dragon, just straight up red dragon. Like because oh, yeah. Deb changes something about whatever the things are and 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 you know it, it keeps uh you know players who have done it a long time like it's not like you can just go and everybody has done this like sneak a little look into a tab yeah. over there on on a digital tool and be like oh yeah okay it's immune to this and you know like in that kind of, but but you, it, that goes out the window when a when a gm knows you know what what they're doing and, and throws those curveballs like that so which also as a as a as a dm i i highly highly recommend finding those ways to twist it and also the things that that adam the, the books that adam was talking about going onto the the portal i'm very excited about that because i love those books because experienced players often know the official books but don't know tome of beasts and things yeah. and the monsters are so good they're so much fun to run so i'm very excited about that <laughs> For my own purposes <laughs> but reflavoring is is always a great thing to do and deb does it so well so and all to the better in this circumstance because it isn't metagaming if you have multiple experienced v and v players in your party <laughs> who would spot a red dragon and would simply know how to handle them it is one the of those interesting don't yeah, well, it is one of those <laughs> interesting moments. Players are like, no, 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 we're no, no, go no, no, this no. way, away, away. <laughs> I don't know why hysteria is in the back of my head telling me not to stand in front of the dragon. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, especially when we're talking about something as iconic as a red dragon, and Adam's absolutely right. I don't think, I don't think we would see just a the plain red dragon. Although you never know. You never know when, you know, this is one thing that the storybooks got correct from all these other lands. Um, It does become a a fun challenge, in my opinion, to make sure that if your character either knows a thing or can figure out a thing, like, I think it's fairly fair to say don't stand in front of the dragon. 
very close. I mean, we all know the tales of fire-breathing dragons and all of that. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of the obvious things because then you can kind of lean into the unobvious things of like, everyone knows dragons can fly, but then they don't take the next step of, well, how do I go after it if it's up there? So there's other things you can kind of grab onto that I think are are super fun. Not the dragon. Do not chat, do, chat. Do and I want to be a dragon dragon. I read okay. the Pern novels. Is this not Pern? Can we do that now? I mean, we don't know. I mean, that that's the great point. We, children of Erte IRL, know the thing about dragons and tasting good with ketchup. Mm -hmm. I think there's a fair amount that Erte kids can can simply meta from world. Don't stand in front of a dragon. I, think I just love that. seeing the look on Deb's face every time she presents us with a challenge and we try to talk to it and become its friend. Like yeah. every time, like it, it, it's, I mean, she, she doesn't show any kind of, you know, disdain or anything. It's not what I'm saying, but, but, it, but it's just, it's this bemused look that, that I've picked up on like every time it happens. Cause she's like, she's like really? this, this is a dangerous, horrible, nightmarish beast that will devour your insides, you know. And then Hi, can be its well, friend, hey. please. <laughs> thank, thank you, Jen, for just for just calling me out while I'm calling myself out. Yeah, yeah, Neb, Neb. It's okay. I'm usually looking right at Deb when Neb is walking forward, going, Hi, I would like to be your friend and learn all about you, but I'm not gonna stand directly in front of your muzzle because I know about that. <laughs> It's hilarious to me that you think Neb would go down to, you are playing maybe the only druid I know who thinks of themselves as being a mega squishum. You have the wild shape. You have all those extra HSP in your tank. And someday you will learn that you have that extra in you. Cause Neb, do you get the impression that Neb knows she has more HSP in that tank? She does, she does, and she's known for a while, but what happens is, like, if you think about the, the big giant bird, the gargantuan giant bird, big bird, she was up front trying to talk to it when the fight started. Uh, most of the time when she's up front and is getting squished on before she can wild shape, it's because she's up front trying to talk to something and then rolls really bad on her initiative and goes, Pfft. so she knows um, but it just doesn't always happen in time and you can't talk to people if you're a moose. So that, that is the real downside. That, that is tough. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, but that honestly wasn't, turns out not the only brilliant GM at the table. Y'all noticed Silas explained the rules of VNV very clearly to <laughs> beginners had pre-gens prepped for new players, explained the rules of the world, the conventions of TTRPG, like, y'all, hey, an adventuring hook, please take it. Clearly and concisely to a degree that I would love to see from all GMs, just, yes, get above table long enough to tell me to get on the party bus. Love that. Silas could even do the GM trick where he looks at the module that he prepped and and in real time cuts down to the chase because 2.13 is coming. Slash, you know, the episode of the, the other layer of murder. But like for someone who intimated that he hadn't really had many opportunities to GM recently and had 
hadn't really gotten to play a lot of VNV with people recently. Adam, how did he get so good? He's really good. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's uh, I, I, that's part of the uh, the the curse that I, I know that many people out there who are probably hearing this right now um, are going to be Wait, familiar Silas with. Silas is it. cursed too. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's cursed. Everybody's cursed. But, uh, you know, that that forever GM, um, you know, kind of life that, that we lead. And so just because he hasn't played in a while, you know, he's 50. So, uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he could he might not have played in a decade, but uh, he played a whole, whole lot back uh, back in, in the day. And so it's kind of like riding a bike. You can just uh, swing back into it, especially when you have to GM as, as much as that. But, you know, one of the things that I've discovered uh, genuinely, um, and, and this is Adam talking uh, now and not Silas, but but we can apply it in some ways, um, is that um, in the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so, I've been able to play more than I ever got to play back then. And that has, without any doubt whatsoever, made me a better GM. So, like, I, I think that, like, that uh, that concept of the forever uh, game master is uh, is something that, you know, unfortunately, uh, sometimes we can't get out of that. We can't, you know, uh, jump off that merry-go-round sometimes because uh, we, we just don't really have much of a choice. But um, I, I would say that if you are stuck on that merry-go-round, um, you know, uh, give, uh, you know, tr try your best to talk those friends into trying it. And, you know, uh, some of those kind of things out there, because um, overall, you are going to uh, really, really uh, learn some new tricks for your bag if you uh, if you're able to play a little bit in addition to the game mastering. But yeah, Silas did it so much. Learn. Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, Silas did it a bunch. Um, you know, back, back in the day. And so uh, for him, it, it probably just felt like, uh, you know, getting back onto a bicycle. You know, you as a person, Adam, are so gracious, nigh to the point of self-deprecation. And it's very funny seeing you do that on behalf of Silas just now, because there are plenty of GMs out there who have logged zillions of flight hours who don't GM nearly as well as Silas did. Silas is a great GM. Well, you know, he, he loves story. So I will say that one of the things that I've found uh, in common um, for, you know, many of the best game masters that, that I've uh, been able to play with over the years is uh, just an understanding of, uh, of, of story. And maybe, you know, I'll get a little bit, um, you know, too, uh, too lofty here with everything I'm about to say. But, um, you know, story is a primal need for humans. Like, I, I fundamentally believe that we, uh, we need story uh, to subsist and, and uh, you know, truly live our lives. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, one of the things about these games that is so great is that um, it's a way for us to connect to storytelling um, in, in a way that, um, you know, is so unique and, and, and fresh compared to a lot of the, um, you know, just kind of monotonous, um, you know, dredging of story that, that we might, might call story out there, um, you know, sometimes, and that's not a, not a cut on any kind of shows or any, cause I, I do plenty of that too. And you find great stories there, 
but uh, but there's this mass market out there of storytelling that uh, these games a lot of the time can circumvent, and um, and I think that um, you know that's something that is in common for all those GMs that have really shown uh, in, in the past that I've played with, and uh, Silas at this point in time to try to get into his mindset, he in his mind is living in a story right now, like a true real story. And um, I mean, he he honestly believes that, you know, he's going to uh, continue to to become more powerful. He's going to be a superhero in whatever world he ends up in, uh, you know. And uh, and so for him, um, I think that uh, that's going to come through and trying to introduce, uh, you know, his newfound friends to, to this kind of hobby because, um, you know, he, he understands the importance of that. And honestly, with some of the stuff that's gone down in his life, um, you know, and how isolated he has felt, how lonely he has felt uh, for, you know, a, a decade or two, um, you know, at, at this stage. Uh, I, I think that uh, for him, that's why he was so, um, you know, hell bent on making sure that they liked it. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like making sure like, hey, I want you to play with me again. This is very important to me. I don't want this to be a one and done thing. I think that was actually what I was going to bring up is there was something else that Silas did really, really well, which has been a part of his core character for a while now, which is his joy of being a fan of things. You know, I, I love being a fan of yours. I love being a fan of comics. I love being a fan of this. And so as a DM sitting down at the table and being a fan of the other players at the table and Silas doing that so openly is a huge deal because that is because there is a lot of whoops I didn't do the right thing or you know I rolled poorly or whatever and having the person running the game sympathize mm -hmm. uh when you roll a natural 20 having them cheer you know little things like that whatever it is that makes it obvious that while you're putting a challenge together that you're you want the players to win and you want the players to have fun so seeing Silas be a fan of the other uh, players who also had characters, I think is super crucial. Well, I, I think that's where, you know, these games teach us something about ourselves. Um, and, and I have had just so many instances over the years where something happens in a game and I'm, and, and you know, I'm thinking about it two, three weeks later. Um, and, and it just profoundly affected me in some way. And so I think that um, what was fascinating about that episode and, and one of the reasons I'm glad, um, you know, we got to do it was it allowed, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the other characters could discover something about Silas in that, um, which, you know, he's not shy about revealing plenty of himself, but then it did allow for, uh, you know, uh, there's something about Maeve, like Silas instantly um, liked Maeve more, um, you know, like when he saw um, her, uh, you know, how she played the game and, and he understood, I would argue, you know, more about like her mindset and personality uh, because, you know, Silas would be the one um, that, 
you know, has played so much that he's read the books about the different types of gamers and, and the psychological profiles of that, you know, and all, all those kind of things. And so it's like, uh, you know, it, it, he discovered something about Maeve. He, uh, you know, probably uh, affirmed, reaffirmed and con- confirmed uh, things about Neb um, and uh, and even, you know, Feruza in, in that time. And so I think that um, that was an interesting uh, you know, chance that we got to see players playing characters playing characters because then it just went, you know, a little bit deeper into, hey, this is saying something about these characters at this point. And that's a challenge to play. And you all did just an incredible job at being able to, um, you know, p- play through that. I mean, it's it's super, super pro, um, everything that, that everyone did there. But, uh, but being able to find out about the characters through this, uh, you know, silly game um, is, uh, is such an uh, epic opportunity. I know that I've always gotten the sense that you learn so much about someone from who they are in an improvised situation where after a certain number of hours, you don't, you can't really hide who you are. And so you all did, I agree, a beautiful job of revealing those characters through a game that is so character revealing for actual people in real life. But I don't want to go through the whole episode without talking about some of the away from table stuff that is going on for all of our characters. For instance, just, you know, to speak of things you know a lot about that your characters maybe don't, we have a musical puzzle ahead of us that Lauren, you got it so quickly my head was spinning and how ready are you to sit on top of your hand since neb apparently doesn't have a big musical background uh, yeah that's gonna be an interesting moment um i will admit I, I i almost had it when we were leaving and then i spent a couple of extra minutes after the episode panicking and looking at things because I, I actually got very distracted thinking it was something else um well and i'll say it because it's not this um, the Beethoven's Eroica Symphony, the fourth movement. If you go and listen to it, there'll be a couple of places. And my mind went down the rabbit hole of like, well, it's Beethoven and it's, you know, the Eroica and it's, you know, it's got this and that. And then I was like, no, no, this is, no, this makes the most sense. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we talked about it afterwards and Deb with, with all of our puzzles has been very clear that she's a fan of the players just as much as she is of the characters. And yeah, maybe Jen is our resident puzzle, puzzle expert and can just nail puzzles, but like, it's, it's okay if the rest of us get it occasionally. Um, but yeah, there, there is, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to do okay. And I think, I, I think Neb's tiny little bit of musical training will come in just enough. So. I, I, I think but that, we'll that is that is one of my favorite things that Deb talks about um, is how she's a fan of player. She actually says, you know, sorry for the peek behind this curtain a little bit, but she says she is more of a fan of players than she is of characters. And, um, and so I think that, you know, that, that is such an interesting angle because yes, we are producing um, a story here that has these characters that, that we all love, that we know that, uh, you know, many of you out there uh, are at least taking a little bit of a shining to, and we appreciate that big time. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are playing a game 
and we don't actually know what's going to happen uh, in several of these circumstances and everything else. You know, again, we've played for a while, so sometimes we can have a good guess, but um, but but we don't know what's around the next uh, corner. We don't know if we're going to fail, uh, you know, that check uh, or, or miss on that attack or whatever else. And so I think that, um, you know, uh, remembering that it is a game and especially with Deborah, uh, any chance she gets reinforcing that, you know, she's such a big fan of players. Um, you know, even, even Silas, you know, sorry, spoiler alert. Like I'm going to keep this super vague, but you know, we had this little weird dream detour uh, for our SDCC episode that hopefully we did finally get files. So I hope that we're going to get that up soon. Um, so we, we got some files and if you miss that one, you'll be able to see it. But um, I'm just going to tell you, uh, again, super mild, uh, high-level thing. Silas kind of solved something. He solved it in a very Silas way. Like, I want to clarify, like, it was a very Silas way. But, um, but again, Deborah rewarded, um, you know, uh, Adam the player in that instance, I think, uh, probably more than, than Silas the character. And, um, and so uh, that, that has been a really great thing because I, I think I've made it known on uh, one of these shows before that I am not a fan of puzzles in these games. And most of that is because I have seen them done very badly over the years. I have a little bit of trauma from how badly some like I, I know that sounds maybe a little silly but but i really do like someone kind of traumatized me one time with a tough uh, puzzle and and so I, I i really don't like them at all and deborah has very slowly and surely been turning that around for me um uh, because she's uh she's really establishing a lot of trust with all of that and everything and so uh, it's been you know really remarkable to see that i even um, I used to kind of just like sigh and completely disengage when that happened in a game. Um, and uh, I'm finding myself doing that less and less and actually being kind of interested at least uh, in, in most of, of what's going on here. Um, and I think that that really is due to, to how Deborah has just really reinforced that for us so much as we've been playing. There's also a, a kind of a weird tangent uh, and puzzles kind of highlight it, but there's a lot of situations, especially in a game like this, where something comes up that you can kind of tell, oh, there's a character that's going to nail this for whatever reason. Like, oh, this is a situation that's geared toward this character. This is a puzzle that this specific character should be able to excel at just because of what that character is. Uh, and then when you end up in a situation where that's not the case, that can give everybody a lot of freedom to do the thing that maybe you would sit back in another place. Like we don't have anyone in our group who is like a professional musician. So uh, there's no need to be like, oh, I know what kind of puzzle this is. We're gonna let so-and-so shine in this moment. So it's it's nice to have that, that give and take, like here's some moments in where we can all boost one person up because they're gonna have a chance mm -hmm. to really show off their stuff. And then here's another moment in where, oh no, we're all gonna work together, make this happen, so. And I mean, I'll also throw out there that in people's backstories, like, you know, my son right now learned how to read music. Like, I, I don't actually like I can fake it a little bit, but like, um, you know, my son like learned how to do it. I am fairly certain at this point that he, you know, he's 18 years old. I am pretty sure he is never going to be a professional anything in music. Um, and yet, if he came across a puzzle like that in a weird circumstance like this, 
he could, he can read music and like, he probably could, you know, get close enough to do it. So I think that, you know, that's one of the great things too, again, playing these games is we have put so much thought and energy into our backstories uh, to get into the mindset of playing our characters, but there are still things that haven't been revealed. And this being an improvisational game, as we're working, continuing to work with Deborah as we, we go on through, we can fill in some of those, uh, you know, details of the backstory. And so I even love it. Like, uh, and again, not saying that this wasn't established beforehand, but, you know, Neb had some of that training in the past. I think that, you know, we're in a magical place. Um, inspiration can be striking, uh, you know, at, at, at various times. And, and, and who knows, uh, you know, what, what that means and how that uh, kind of stuff can manifest. And also knowing now what the answer is and being able to backtrack and put the music part of my brain away for a second, I can see two or three other ways in where people could solve this without being musically inclined, which is also a hallmark of Deb's puzzle solving, puzzle crafting, is that yes. there's there's always a couple of avenues you can come at the thing. True, though, like, we can acknowledge that maybe a thing was gift-wrapped for you, Lauren, to let Lauren shine, and you know, you might notice that the resident puzzle solver, as you put it, immediately went to try to puzzle how to toss the ball to Neb. I so maybe this that. is going to be your moment. And besides, this is a magical place and enhanceability exists. So whatever like undergraduate <laughs> music classes Neb took could be augmented and you can you can get the solve that for what it's worth, y'all, like figuring out a tune from the letters of music is a non-trivial thing. And like, look how, look how fat, like, Lauren's really, like, surprising absolutely no one. Like, Lauren's really good. It's, it's, <laughs> like, really good. I, it's like I have decades of training in this or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you get to see it immediately. Meanwhile, it all came out for me and I'm like, yeah, like, it's Greek to me. Like, I literally don't know what any of that is. If you hummed it or something, I'd be like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. And so it will be in future revealed, uh, but not quite yet. Um, and before we get too far, because we've got a little more time for me to rest answers from you before we wrapped, I wanted to talk a little bit about what we were doing immediately prior going through treasure hoard and some of the items that were received y'all have been building up a few different items both coming into uh this sparkly hoard uh the utility chair slash weapons for instance and the super fan hat that's gone through a bit of a poke evolution uh, but can you talk a little bit about how you approach with deb magic items like is there a wish list uh do you get items and simply be surprised by what you get and find ways to put it to use how have magical items been uh, coming into your characters lives as players it's a bit of a mix of both of those. Um, uh, Deb puts it out there that if there are certain things that we are looking for, we can let her know and she'll she'll help us, you know, see what happens with that list. Obviously, with with 
her own discretion on those things or ways she might tweak those things. Um, but if there are certain things we're looking for, those are those are absolutely welcome. Um, and then, um, like in my case, there is a piece of my story that we worked out that I don't know answers to. I have I have something where I said this is a mystery. Like I'm happy to let this be a mystery and let this be something that you have control over. And I am happy to have the magical items reflect that. I I am not. You know, I'm happy to let things show up that further that story being uncovered. Um, so for me, and then, of course, at the very last minute, I was like, oh, and I have another idea for something <laughs> literally moments before we went live. Um, but that, I think, is going to be further down the line. But um, yeah, so for me, this one this time was very much like a. I I'm happy to be surprised if and she had a very cool idea so how about the super fan hat yeah well the hat so honestly um yeah i mean we'll, we'll get behind the scenes here so the hat was uh just going to be something that was special uh to silas um that, that he cared about so for instance um you know um from that first episode or second episode or whenever it was when he got outside on the train um acting like a complete uh, fool um but when but when he was out there doing that and the hat was lost um before uh because uh, jen and i uh, talked in between sessions and she's like oh i'm gonna use this and so you know again adam the player is like oh that's good because then you know silas what silas would have done was he was going to go back inside and grab his other version of the hat. Like he was literally going to have five of these hats uh, with him, like in his backpack. And the joke was going to initially be, he's going to lose hats all the time, but he's just going to pull the hat, like another version of the hat because um, it's playing up on the bunches of money thing that he bought them. And it was going to be some weird thing that he bought them one time for a minor league baseball team that he almost purchased or, you know, like there was this whole direction that I was going to go that wasn't anywhere as good as it ended up going. And again, that's why we play the game, right? Is, is to see some of this stuff. So then when I saw Jen, you know, make sure that, that she grabbed the hat and I'm like, Oh, okay. She has shenanigans that that's in store here that she wants to do. Um, it really uh, just changed everything. And so there was actually, um, you know, another item that uh, Deb and I had spoken about that was going to kind of uh, be a little bit more of the the talisman, if you were, um, for for what was going on with with Silas. But then, when the hat ended up taking on that much importance, I was like, "Look, I don't even think the story has room for this other thing we were talking about. Like the hat, the hat's it at this point. This makes the most sense." And so um, I ended up liking it because when everybody sees the new character artwork that's going to debut next week um when everybody sees everything happen next week um you, you're gonna see why uh i'm very glad of what happened you know with the hat and everything there um and so uh so yeah it's uh uh, you know, really, really cool, um, you know, what, how that evolved with that hat, uh, because that was completely not was, uh, what was initially slated to happen with the hat, but it was definitely, you know, way, way better than, than what I initially had in mind. And Jen kind of nailed it with the, you know, Deb asked us for a shopping list kind of, um, and we've kept in, uh, 
kept those shopping lists updated. Um, and it's interesting because you can kind of come at what do you want your magic item to, to be or do from a couple different angles. And so I think figuring out, okay, is this a chance for something story related? Is this a chance for something uh, character buff related? Is this a, a thing that I think I'm going to need in the future? Um, that was that was a lot of fun to go through. And also a little difficult for me because Neb is a character that has a lot of options because of what she is. So I don't need the, too much in the sense of like, there's still stuff on my character sheet I haven't touched. There's still <laughs> abilities I haven't done. There's still spells I haven't done because, you know, those kind of characters get so much to, to, to deal with. So, uh, so the thing I went for, uh, we had a very interesting conversation, and by we, I mean the whole group had a very interesting conversation about who, who has access to what things. Hmm. And I'll leave it at that. It's actually think, probably something we should check in about again soon, since so much has happened since that conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I need to have a chat with Deb specifically about, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bunches yep. of things. Bunches of things. <laughs> all good things. All good things. All exciting things. But yes, I think it was it was fun to see everybody's magic item and how everybody kind of went in a slightly different direction with it. And it was it was super cool. Yeah. And for this party, the real magical item is friendship. <laughs> but as much as I've missed this, that's all the time we have for tonight. So please, y'all. Don't forget to tune in next week to watch our heroes work through that musical puzzle so they can try out for Erte and Idol. Thank you so much for joining us, Adam, Jen, and Lauren. And real quick, uh, yes, starting in uh, reverse order from introductions to starting with Adam, uh, tell the good people real quick where they can find you. Adam Bradford, CDO at Demiplane, and uh, I am still, I guess, on Twitter and have not made it to any of the other places. So you can find me there at Bad I Adam, or you can find me on the Demiplane Discord. That's another place, uh, good good place to get me or the forums. And I stream uh, dev updates on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific. Lauren? You can find me a lot of the time on the Codename Entertainment Twitch channel. I'm on several different of the, the shows there. And some of the ones that I'm non, not on, on, I'm producing. So come on over to twitch.tv slash CNE Games. And at any given time, I'm there doing something. Uh, but if you want to see me doing more D&D in front of the camera on Sundays at 4 p.m. Pacific, I am rolling with the D4 crew uh, playing my cleric or Kira, trying to keep them alive. We're a real high level, so yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, and I am Jen Kretschmer. You can find me on most socials as at Dreamwisp, uh, and I stream on here as Dreamwisp Jen uh, on here, meaning on Twitch. Um, and yeah, that's that's me. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And until next time, we're going off the air today. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Children of Erte. To learn more about Demiplane, visit demiplane.com and embark on your own adventure today.